the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I said yesterday on the show that two months ago, I'm not sure most people would have known what we were talking about when we talk about critical race theory, but that now I think the tentacles are up and parents are becoming aware. And so I wanted to bring on an expert in critical race theory. I think a lot of the Manhattan Institute and the work that Christopher Rufo has done and of City Journal as well. So our guest, Charles Lehman, is a contributing editor at City Journal and is a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And so, Charles, I really appreciate you coming on the Bruce Hooley Show today and lending your expertise to these two very important issues. Absolutely, Bruce. Happy to happy to be on. Uh, let's start with CRT. Uh, you guys have at the Manhattan Institute what you call a toolkit for concerned parents, and I spend a lot of time on my show talking to concerned parents. We have made national headlines at Columbus Academy here, an elite private school that charges $30,000 a year. Uh, some real ugly stuff going on with parents who just tried to get answers from the board. We have big uh, city uh, schools around in our suburbs that are teaching this and, and putting their uh, bus drivers and others through CRT-related training. Uh, let's define the terms first. When people say to you, Charles, what is critical race theory and why do I need to be on my guard against it? What do you tell them? The term has a lot of baggage. It's being used by people in a lot of different ways. But I think when I when I get asked about that, I say it's it's less important to sort of pin down the precise meaning. Um, you know, there's, there's a philosophical school. Critical race theory is a, a legal movement that spread through the academy to other uh, disciplines it focuses on very briefly uh, arguing that the institutions of American society remain and are essentially compromised by white supremacist values, um, and that that is that is a determinative factor at social relations in America in the 21st century. Um, but you know, I think I think the term can also mean not just uh, those ideas directly, but also a wide and diverse set of. Uh, race-conscious practices that have become particularly popular in schools and workplaces since last summer's protests and riots. Um, those can be things like uh, dividing kids up by affinity groups, which mm. often means segregating kids by race. Um, it can mean a fixation on concepts like white fragility, white privilege. Uh, it can mean opposition to merit-based testing because that's identified as racist. Uh, it can mean racially inflected teaching, not just in the social, not just in uh, social studies or the English classroom, but even in the math classroom. So it's really a whole diverse and often peculiar set of practices that have taken uh, the academic world by storm. Yeah, and our guest is Charles Lehman. He is a contributing editor at City Journal and a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Uh, you know, what I notice is that now that parents are becoming aware, radio hosts are becoming aware, people are talking about this, what I see is I see a lot of denials. Oh, no, we're not teaching that. We're teaching history. We're, you know, we're just, why are you so nervous about us teaching? We're just teaching history, and why don't you want the history of slavery to be taught? Well, I went to school a long time ago. We taught so they, slavery was taught to me. I don't think any American school system is denying the existence of slavery and the fact that slavery was horribly, terribly wrong. So is it a thing now that they're being found out that they're trying to redefine the terms of what critical race theory is to sort of minimize the quote unquote threat? Yeah, you know, I th and I think that's a pretty standard rhetorical move. There's the, the argument that's made is that 
uh, critics of CRT are just uncomfortable with, the, you know, America's history of white supremacy or America's history of slavery. And that's absolutely not the case. If you look, for example, at Texas's bill, which is aimed at banning CRT in schools, uh, so what you will about the legislative initiative, what they say is they, they explicitly outline things that have to be taught, including the history of white supremacy in America and why white supremacy is wrong. I think everybody I know who's critical of CRT would agree with that. What we don't agree with, what I don't agree with, is the idea that uh, that the white supremacy is the defining feature of American society today. That it's a that's written into the Constitution. That's a fundamental uh, component of American society that determines more or less everything about us. That's the sort of radical idea that's being pushed. And you know, secondarily, I don't. I, I think that there are scholars who make that argument. I'm not necessarily in favor of prohibiting those ideas being taught in the classroom as ideas, opinions made by respectable academics. What I'm concerned about is that being taught uh, dogmatically as a thing that's just obviously true, that is the definitive history of the United States, and nobody can dissent from without worrying about the standing in the school community. Our guest is Charles Lehman, and Charles has written a, an op-ed in Newsweek called What Critical Race Theorists Are Actually Criticizing. He is a contributing editor with City Journal, and he is a fellow at the Manhattan Institute You know, all of this uh, really, in my opinion, and I'd get interested to get yours, gain traction after the George Floyd uh, situation in Minneapolis. And I believe that uh, the movement was ready to pounce on an incident. They got the incident that they could pounce upon. Now that Derek Chauvin has gone to trial and found guilty on every charge, racism was never brought up at his trial Yet that remains the narrative that this was a racist act. And the reason why I think this is caught on is because I really think there's there are very few labels a white person would like to avoid more than being called a racist. We all agree it's deplorable. Yeah, you know, I think I think that's an important uh, point about who is and is not subject to this stuff and how people are thinking about it. Um, Robin D'Angelo, whose name I'm sure you're familiar oh, with, yes. I'm sure your readers are familiar with, you know, uh, your listeners are familiar with, uh, who's made a great deal of money off of all this, just put out. Uh, a new book which is called something like Nice Racism, in which her argument is basically all the people who are buying Robin D'Angelo's books to stop being racists are themselves really the major problem because they're really the racists. Um, you know, something I like to observe is that uh, the left spends most of its time canceling itself. It sort of picks out the people who agree with its premises and uh, then beats them up when they dissent from the conclusions. Uh, whereas if you don't agree with the premises, there it's much harder for them to. Uh, really go after you if you sort of reject what they're saying. It's much harder for them to uh, push you out of social life. Um, and I think that you know the same thing is true is that there, there, there because there's a commonly agreed upon notion that racism is particularly bad is taboo. People who are most worried about that are the people who are uh, sort of most most likely to be targeted by that most most pushed on to uh, new heights of quote unquote anti-racism. Charles Lehman is our guest, and Charles is a contributing editor at City Journal. He's with the Manhattan Institute. Read his op-ed in Newsweek called What Critical Race Theorists Are Actually Criticizing. So the toolkit that you have for concerned parents, and there are tons of them out there, Charles, the toolkit that you guys have online at the Manhattan Institute website. What do you tell parents? Because here's one of the insidious things about CRT. It's a principle. It's a theology. It's an ideology that... A lot of times when parents say, are you teaching it? The answer is no, we're not teaching it. But it is being taught. In fact, we saw this the other day in Congress. I think uh, Lloyd Austin, well, we're not teaching it. 
Well, what General Milley said, it sure sounds to me like they're teaching it in the military. So how do you tell people to be on guard? What, do they be, what should they be looking for, and what tools are in your toolkit so they can combat it in their local districts? Yeah, you know, the, the toolkit consists of two parts. One is uh, what I call sort of a, a, a lexicon of, of uh, popular terms, and the goal is to let parents recognize what teachers are talking about, what administrators are talking about, recognize these terms and what they mean, know how to engage with them. And the second, the second thing is sort of preliminary thoughts, guides, notion on how to start pushing back because, like, fundamentally the way that this stuff – is repudiated in schools is that parents step up, they take notice, and they they organize themselves. They say, I don't like what's being taught in my kid's classroom. I want to challenge that. Uh, that starts by identifying other like-minded parents and then starting to apply pressure to your school's administration. That's really the only way uh, you're going to have success. So, you know, the, the guide goes through what the sort of escalating steps are to think about in terms of responding to or challenging, uh, challenging this stuff as it spreads through our schools. We've seen some scary things around the country. Loudoun County, Virginia, a parent arrested. Have you heard of any instances where at a private school, students have been denied readmission because the parents are advancing a certain agenda against CRT or against these kinds of leftist policies? You know, I haven't heard of it. I would not be surprised if it happened, uh, if not explicitly, then implicitly. But, you know, this has really been a fight over the past school year, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how it plays out over the next school year. I can imagine that happening, certainly. Charles Lehman is our guest. He is a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a contributing editor at City Journal, and his expertise also runs into criminal justice. And with our 100th homicide last night in Columbus, we will talk with Charles next about these issues and why homicides are escalating around the country. You're listening to The Bruce Hooley Show. Back on the Bruce Hooley Show, our guest is Charles Lehman. He is with City Journal and the Manhattan Institute. Uh, read his op-ed in Newsweek called Critical Race Theorists, what they are actually criticizing. But your expertise, Charles, also runs into criminal justice. And I've read some of your columns, Washington Free Beacon, uh, some of the things that you've talked about since the George Floyd situation in Minneapolis. And we had a situation overnight here in Columbus. A CNN would say a grim milestone. They always talked about that with covid uh, we have our 100th homicide victim last night in Columbus on June 30th. So we're six months into the year. We've got 100 homicides last year in the first six months. We had 59 homicides on our way to a record 175. Uh, these escalating homicide rates around the country, and they're in every big city, and seemingly everyone is run by a Democrat city council, Democratic mayor. What are the underlying causes of these kinds of things, and what do you attribute it to? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, we saw um, a nationwide homicide spike last year. It seems to have persisted into 2021. Um, it is in cities, but it's also elsewhere. The best early data we've got says that it's happened in rural counties, that it's happened in small cities, big cities, pretty much everywhere. Um, you know, I think that there are a couple of key causes. I do believe, and this is, you know, something that people on the right tend to dispute, but I do think that there was a role played by the COVID-19 lockdowns. Uh, there's good evidence that says when, uh, you know, when you don't have school open, when you don't have work open, uh, those are things that keep people off the street, and that's what stops them from committing crime. But it's also my view, and I think there's pretty strong uh, evidence to support it, that 
the major determinant is is sort of this depolicing phenomenon mm-hmm. that happened after the George Floyd protests and riots last summer that we see uh, conspicuous drop-offs in police activity and, more importantly, conspicuous spikes in indicators of violent crime last June in the immediate aftermath of uh, Floyd's death and the subsequent onset of protests. So, you know, uh, I, I, I think comprehensively there's a real problem in this country uh, with leaders who are going out of their way to make their bones demonizing the police, and therefore it's unsurprising to me that cops are stepping back, that cops are quitting, uh, that they don't see their job as valued, and they think that they are putting their life reputation on the line every single time they go out on patrol, and they may not want to do that. So you know, I think that's that's the root of the problem. Well, I, that's exactly what I hear from the local FOP president here. They have record number of retirements. Cops don't want to be out. We had the obvious uh, national incident here with Micaiah Bryant, where I thought the police officer in that situation reacted perfectly to his training, yet still has not been commended and took all kinds of criticism. And then we have the Biden administration going down the familiar Democratic path. Uh, It's gun violence. It's not crime. It's gun violence, as if it's on the guns. What did you think of the president's address the other day and the procedures, the proposals, rather, that he has outlined to hopefully cut back some of this violence that's spreading in our major cities and everywhere? Yeah, and, you know, I'll say this to Biden's credit. He has always been sort of on the right flank of his party uh, when it comes to the public safety issue. He was one of the leading proponents of the 1994 violent crime bill, which in my view, you know, he got a lot of flack for it, but I think it was a pretty good bill, all things considered. Uh, And even in the primary, you know, he he resisted the calls to defunding the police. He has endorsed uh, and he, he continues to endorse more federal funding for hiring police officers, which I think is a good idea. Um, that said, as you mentioned, he, you know, there, there's this fixation on gun violence and guns as a driving cause of the spike, and the problem is the level of gun possession in the country. Um, you know, it is, it is right that there are a lot of shootings, and that's bad. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, and it is, it is right that uh, Americans bought a lot of guns last year, more guns than at any point on record. But the fact of the matter is that guns bought legally take a long time to get to the illegal market, mm-hmm. uh, and it's also likely that. Uh, the Biden administration's goal of targeting legal gun dealers, of trying to crack down through the ATF, is not the best way to get illegal guns off of the street, and more importantly, to identify the people who are going to use those illegal guns. So by focusing so much on firearms as the source of the problem, they are avoiding the real, sort of more complicated law enforcement issue, the problems of depolicing. They are saying, we just need to crack down on uh, illegitimate dealers, and that's not, that's not where the root of the problem is. Our guest is Charles Lehman. You can follow him on Twitter at Charles F. Lehman, L-E-H-M-A-N. He's a contributing editor at City Journal and a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Let's wrap up with this one, Charles. I have said that I think crime is going to be a a really great issue for Republicans in the midterms and maybe even into 2024. Uh, as much as Joe Biden, I think, knows, the answer is uh, more cops, more uh, consequences, For crime, he has a very loud, very vocal, and very influential portion of his party and of his base that does not subscribe to that theory. How do you think the Democrats work this out in their own ranks where they seem to be so polarized on the approach to fixing an issue that clearly American voters want fixed? Uh, I'm not sure they will. You know, uh, this sort of stuff, this sort of uh, policy comes in cycles. The last time we saw an enormous crime spike was preceded by 20 years and 60s and 70s of highly liberal crime policy uh, of, of more or less all the things that the defund the police people want 
to see implemented. And the results were the worst crime wave in American history. Um, you know, and but but I think I think that tendency has always been there within the American left. That tendency will always be there. Uh, they're not going to drive it out. So uh, you know, I'm not sure I believe that this spike is going to last for a whole host of reasons. I think we will continue to see cycles of uh, police protests followed by violent spikes, just as we did 2015, 2016, um, and that will be a real issue. But I'm not sure the Democrats are ever going to be able to reconcile their ideological priors about frankly, skepticism of policing and police work with the fact that the American public does not like crime. They don't like the idea of 20,000 people being murdered every year. Uh, I think that's always going to be a weakness for them. Yeah, I think you're right. Really fascinating insight. I really appreciate it. Charles Lehman, follow him on Twitter, Charles F. Lehman, L-E-H-M-A-N. Read him online at cityjournal.com and the Manhattan Institute. The website for the Manhattan Institute for parents who want to get the toolkit for concerned parents. Uh, can you share that with yeah, us, please? Yeah, it's, it's just manhattan-institute.org. Okay, very good. They do great work. You're uh, doing great work yourself. Thank you so much for your time and expertise, Charles. Th- thanks for having me on. So I think that really I, the example I used with Charles was that we have this narrative out there that the Derek Chauvin um, killing of George Floyd sparked this violence. But when I think back on it, and that's a that is a false narrative. That is a a reaction. If you remember way back when we had Gad Saad, the uh, author on the show, which by the way I just heard a. Uh, podcast he did with Megyn Kelly. It was phenomenal. I asked Gadzad, why do we have this reaction, this virulent reaction around the country to the George Floyd video? And he's like, it's the old, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. People saw him die, and it ratcheted up emotions in them because they saw it. So a couple points. First of all, we are not geared. We are not made emotionally as citizens to see things and view things the way cops see them and do them. It, we're just not. It, it goes back to the old, you know, how the sausage is made. And, I, and I, I really do believe that one of the worst things for cops and how they relate to the community is the availability of body cam video. And I know you're going to say, oh, well, without body cam video, they'd get away with, you know, all kinds of stuff. And you might be right. So this goes back to what initiatives can the cops come up with, can police administrators, mayors, city councils come up with. I think it's a long game, and it's getting better candidates, greater psychological testing to eliminate the people who want to be cops or are prone to become vigilante cops, the kind of cops who become bad cops. Some of that can be ferreted out with psychological testing. I know we're in an age where it's going to be impossible for the courts to get access to body cam video, but when you look at body cam video, you're horrified by the violence. You don't know what it's like to be a cop in that situation, okay? Now, the other thing is, uh, this is not just a reaction to the George Floyd situation. This is really goes back to what? I think there's one event that really sparked this shift in and flaming up of racial unrest in America, and it's Ferguson, Missouri. It's Michael Brown. It's hands up, don't shoot. And what was that? That was a lie. Hands up, don't shoot never happened. Michael Brown reached into the car. He tried to pull the officer's gun away. He was shot. That was looked at at several times by the Obama Justice Department, by Eric Holder as Attorney General, by Loretta Lynch as Attorney General, If you don't know, Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch are both black. 
so by a Justice Department headed by two African-American people. So, but, but what happened after Ferguson? BLM. BLM happened, and it sloganeered this you-can't-argue-with-this-mindset type thing. Black Lives Matter. No, oh, yeah, sure, all lives matter. Oh, so you think, oh, so you think your life ma- It took us to a very bad place. And so what's been the upshot of that? Now, anytime a, there's an arrest made, there's a crowd, and the phones are out. And the expletives start flying toward the cops. Okay? And you're like, well, that's good. That's good. They're shooting viral video of Derek Chauvin on George Floyd's neck. And without that, Derek Chauvin gets off. Do you think we have more murders in our country because cops don't engage in proactive policing now because they're afraid they're going to be on somebody's video? I believe that 100%. I believe that 100%. Uh, We will talk with Jeff LeRae and his letter to Mike DeWine about the southern border next. 